Filmmakers make films, but films make filmmakers. From blockbuster premieres to grindhouse theaters, late night cable to the local video store, there is no greater classroom for aspiring filmmakers than cinema itself. Join your host, Eric Skorzynski, as he dives deep into the minds of legendary directors, producers, actors, and more to discover their biggest influences and to explore the impact their films are leaving behind. This is Film School. Grab your popcorn. Class is about to begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Film School podcast. This is an important day in Film School history. Write it down. This is the first ever interview I've conducted with an Academy Award winner. That's right. Today's guest is legendary makeup effects artist V. Neal. She has earned 23 international nominations that include eight Oscar nominations. She's won three Academy Awards for Beetlejuice, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Ed Wood, two Emmys for Pee-wee's Playhouse and The Shining, a BAFTA for Pirates of the Caribbean, five Saturn Awards, and local 706 Best Character Makeup Award. She's also the first artist to be awarded Hollywood Foreign Press Makeup Artist of the Year. She's created Space Travelers for Star Trek The Motion Picture and the hit comedy Galaxy Quest, Rock and Roll Vampires for The Lost Boys, Visions for, of the Afterlife for Beetlejuice, Transformed Johnny Depp into Edward Scissorhands, Jack Sparrow, Ed Wood, and Sweeney Todd, and Robin Williams into Mrs. Doubtfire. She's also led some of the largest movie franchises in the world, creating masterful effects for Batman, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Amazing Spider-Man, and The Hunger Games. She's also a host on the hit sci-fi series Face Off, which I know was a staple for me for a very long time. V now runs Legends Makeup Academy. You should definitely check out their website, legendsmakeup.com, and see all the work she's doing over there. She was an amazing guest, so kind, and I appreciate her taking the time to join me on this show. I'm not going to keep you waiting in suspense any longer. Here is my interview with three-time Oscar-winning makeup effects artist, V Neal. V, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. It's great to have you on. And uh, I know you've been uh, extremely busy. I think you've been busy for a long time, but specifically busy for the last year uh, with your Makeup Academy. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on the show. Absolutely. Well, one of the, one of the things on this show, obviously, I mean, I, I love to talk about the work that people have done, but I also like to go back to the very beginning and talk about early influences, because it's one thing to talk to people about what they make. It's another thing to ask them, uh, why do they make the things that they make? So uh, can you tell me a little bit about the first time that you watched a film and it put some spark in you to go, I want to try to copy this. I want to do something like this. When I was very small, I mean, before I even knew, you know, what a makeup artist was or anything, I was really fascinated by watching monster movies on TV. My mother had no idea why I liked it, but I, I was just fascinated with the fact that you could change a human being into something else. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So, I mean, way back then I thought, oh God, I want to do that when I grow up. And, and fortunately for me, or not so fortunately, because he didn't really help me, but my next door neighbor from the time I was like three until I was 12 was a makeup artist. Oh wow! And come to find out just recently, even he was actually one of the makeup artists that did the original Planet of the Apes was one of the 
you know, six or seven makeup artists that was on those films. I, you know, every Halloween he would make up his, his daughter and myself. And we, you know, she'd always want to be a fairy or a princess. And mm-hmm. I would always want to be a monster of some sort. So he would, you know, oblige and do it. And I used to always say, Oh, Mr. Latito, I want to do what you do when I grow up. And it was always like, yeah, sure. Kid. Yeah. 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 Right. Because Back then, women were not makeup artists. They were mm. hairdressers or they could do body makeup, but they were never makeup artists. And I, I'm i not really sure if that was like a written law or just an unwritten law that mm. that's just the way it was or whatever. Because when I wound up getting into the union in the, in the early 70s, there wasn't a stipulation that I couldn't be a man to get in. So like I said, I'm not really sure if that was ever a written law mm. or if they just sort of had to like let that go immediately when they had to start letting people into the union or what happened. But uh, I got in and, you know, I was kind of an anomaly. And I mean, like these older makeup guys would always hire me to come on their show. (laughs) They were checking me out to see if I could do anything, you know? So it was kind of crazy, but. As you were talking about wanting to go into the professional side and from the, from the early on, you're like, this is what I want to do when I grew up. Did your family support that? Or did they say, that's really nice here's nursing school or here's a law degree that you can pursue? Um, I don't know that they discouraged me, but it wasn't anything that was promoted. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it was just such a weird thing for me to want to do for them. My mother, unbeknownst to me, my mother was working in the film industry for like huge executives. I never knew it, you know, until Mm. I got much older. But um, my father was a designer engineer for Lockheed and he was, you know, so he was working on rockets and stuff. And, you know, me wanting to be a makeup artist was like, huh, what What does that mean? You know, so I wasn't discouraged except for the fact that I was always told, no, you can't do that. You know, you have to know somebody. And I said, well, I do know somebody, you know, but it didn't seem to help. But um, it wasn't until, you know, I was, I I went, I went through a, to an all girls Catholic high school that was geared for going into, you know, business colleges and, you know, that Mm -hmm. whole thing. And, and I finally just said to my mom and dad, I said, you know what, you guys don't waste your money. It's not what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, but it doesn't have anything to do with any of those college classes that you think I'm going to take, you know? (laughs) So I said, can I just take a break here and try to figure it out? Yeah. So I went to a fashion merchandising school and I realized then that, oh no, this is not for me. I mean, as much as I like to make costumes and do all that stuff, these people were nut jobs. And I just, you know, no, no, I didn't want to be involved. So I, at that point, because I was involved doing clothing of some sort, I opened up a vintage clothing store and I started doing stuff for rock bands and saving clothes for different rock bands. And I just happened to get married in the interim (laughs) to somebody in the rock business and introduced me to like the Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and all these guys. And I was so I was, you know, really involved in the, in the music industry, like on the side kind of, you know, and um, I started doing some stuff for this one little band in Los Angeles who wanted to look like, like spacemen, you know, and I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. So I was cutting their hair and doing weird makeups on them and making really cool space costumes for them. And they said, this is all well and good, but we really want to have big brains and pointed ears and stuff like you see on Star Trek and, um, you know outer limits and all this stuff. And I thought, okay, yeah, that's really cool. I said, you know, this is what I really want to do. So I said, I tell you what, let me go see if I can figure out how to make this stuff and we'll, and we'll get into it, you know? And they said, okay, I started going to science fiction conventions. And back then they were the site, they were, they were Star Trek conventions back then, right? San Diego. 
like at the El Cid Hotel, I think, or something. They weren't what they are now, for sure. They, yeah. were they, yes, they were not what they are now. But, you know, everybody was all dressed up like, mm. you know, Star Trek people and stuff. And I just happened to see this group of guys walking around in Planet of the Apes costumes and in full regalia, you know, full ape regalia. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. That looks so real, like right out of the movies. So I went up to the guys and I said, hey, you guys. I said, where did you get those masks? And they looked at me all indignant like, and they said, oh, these aren't masks. These are makeups. And I went, ah, even better. Where did you get them? Right. And they said, well, we made them. And I said, hey, can you teach me how to do that stuff? And the five of them kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, but you're a girl. And I said, yeah, I know. Isn't it fabulous? <laughs> so one thing led to another. And I kind of wound up falling in love with one of the guys. And I said goodbye to the rock bands. And I just started learning how to do that. And the man that I met was Steve Neal, um, who still does things in the business, but he's moved, shifted into different categories. But mm -hmm. um, so he taught me pretty much what he knew about making them. And he didn't really like to be around a lot of people. So he was better off in the lab and making everything. But I didn't want to be in there. I didn't like it. I, right. I wrecked my fingernails, you know, it got me dirty and it smelled bad. Yeah. And I really got sick of you know, like ruining every oven and every apartment we had with foam latex. So I said, I'll just go and put everything on. You make it and I'll put it on. So we mm -hmm. sort of became known as a team of, you know, working together. And one thing led to another. And eventually I got into the union mm -hmm. and he wasn't interested. So he kept doing what he was doing. Yeah. And I got but, in the union. At this point, was there, was there any kind of makeup school or cause, cause when you listen to, I mean, old interviews, or you listen to like a you see a Jack Pierce or like all these different pioneers in this world. It seems like it wasn't an option. It wasn't like, oh, let me go learn. It was just, I'm going to figure this out. You know, I'm going to go figure out how to do this. Well, there really weren't makeup schools like there are now. Uh, there was one, there was Elegance International, but they were mm -hmm. like more like a beauty school. Right. But I think they did start teaching a little bit of movie makeup. I'm not sure because I know Greg Cannon went there and he learned how to make these bald caps that he and I eventually started making together. But it wasn't really something that, you know, somebody was like going there to learn how to do movie makeup, you know? Yeah, right. So not really. I mean, mm -hmm. we pretty much had to learn, you know, we had, we all had a couple of books and look at the books and we, <laughs> you know, try things out. Yeah. And we get, I get calls that, you know, like before I got in the union, We'd all hang out in Rick Baker's garage, all five of us that knew how to do that stuff at the time. Yeah. And, you know, we'd call up Dick and ask him how to make stuff or, you know, like I'd get it, we'd get like random job calls for these like little indie movies and stuff or TV shows. And, and, and uh, Steve and I would occasionally get uh, jobs like TV stuff and we couldn't do it because we weren't in the union. So um, I had also met Fred Phillips at that interim at, at the Star Trek conventions, who was very kind to me, who was kind of like my mentor. And we would ask Fred, oh, hey, Fred, we got this job. We're going to make these things. Will you go put them on? He'd go, oh, sure, kids, whatever you want. So he would go put them on. And eventually, my first big film that I did was Star Trek, the motion picture. And that was because mm -hmm. of Fred Phillips. He called me up and he said, hey, V, he says, you, you did a couple of movies with Bill Shatner, didn't you? And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, um, he says, well, you know, they're doing uh, this movie, a Star Trek movie. Do you want to come and do it with me? I, I almost passed out on the phone. <laughs> I'll pass on that. Yeah. No, no I big said, deal. Yeah, heck yeah, I want to do yeah. that. <laughs> so that was my first big break, and which was really incredible. Robert Wise was director. I mean, huge director. And it was 
you know, it was a huge bloody movie. I mean, yeah. they had every stage at Paramount going, you know. Before doing Star Trek, I mean, like you, I look back at your at your first credits, you know, Cinderella and Kingdom of the Spiders with William Shatner, <laughs> Ooh, which the I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which uh, which everyone knows William Shatner for Kingdom of the Spiders, right? That's the that's one you think of. Oh yeah, um, that's one of his biggest. What yeah, sure. what was the experience like working on those like on smaller budget films and trying to figure it out? Because I mean, I have to imagine, I mean, Star Trek the Motion Picture was a huge project, like you said, probably yeah. a big budget, big teams. Uh, what was it like going from Kingdom of the Spiders to, you know, a, a large motion picture like that? It was pretty darn cool. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. I mean, I had gone and worked on like weird little TV shows before mm-hmm. that because I was in the union. So I got to go do stuff. But, you know, before that, I was always the department head because it's just the way it was. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of makeup people back then. So I was always the department head. And when I went in to do Star Trek, I was part of a team which was really cool because obviously I loved working. I loved Fred Phillips and I loved working with him. And his daughter was also there. She was one of the other makeup artists. What was so neat about it was like Fred was so giving and so willing to let us young people step in and do all the work and like get to do this stuff. Like he had me put together all the Klingons. There was 13 Klingons in that one scene where the ship blows up. And so he had me put all the, you know, the guys were making everything. I put all the heads together, I painted them, and then he'd let me design all the hair pieces for them. So what that meant was there was like uh, lace hair pieces, you know, hand ventilated mm-hmm. lace hair pieces for each character. So I took each character's hair and I put them all together and I dressed, there was also hair laid on the head pieces. So I dressed the hair on the head pieces, then I dressed the lace pieces into them and I pinned them together so that when they came, when the, when the makeup artists came in to do the makeup, they could see how it all went together, you know? Right. And um, I did the test on every single one of them myself. Hmm. So I basically got to design all the looks on the Klingons. Wow. And um, that was really cool. When we were getting ready to do it, you know, I'd done all the tests, like I said, on all the guys. And I was doing um, uh, Mark Leonard hmm. and one of the head stunt guys, who was the guy that was standing over his shoulder talking to him during the scene. And then, then everybody else was doing all the other guys in the background. And I went to the background makeup artist and I said, hey, you guys, I've left some specific um, adhesive at your station. I'd like you guys to use instead of don't use any of your weird concoctions because I don't want things turning and I don't want, you know, things getting weird with the hair pieces because we have to reuse them every day and be easier to clean if you use this product I'm giving you. And of course, they totally ignored me. I was a girl and it was like, who the hell are you? And get the F out. And you know what I mean? Basically. Yeah. And I went, okay, fine, whatever. You know, I did my duty. Right. And um, one by one, each one of these guys came to me that I had done their makeup on when they looked so fabulous. And they said, V, can you fix me? Look what they did to me. And I look and they had, these guys had combed out all the hair pieces and they were like straight back. Like they'd been, been through a wind tunnel. And I went, what yeah. the heck? I mean, so I said, oh no, no, I can't, I'm not touching anything. Oh no, <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh-uh. Right. Uh-uh. I said, I said, don't worry about it, guys. It's you're going to be kind of slightly out of focus in the background and it's going to get real smoky and nobody will notice that your hair isn't the way it was when we did the test. You know, I said, it'll be fine, guys. And of course it was. But <laughs> yeah, Star Trek, Star Wars. I mean, it's a, a size. I mean, both of those films, everybody knows, like they're familiar with them. They're they're popular. And it marks kind of the shift from, you know, aliens and these weird makeups being a b-movie trope in the 50s to being now 
I have to imagine studios are going, how do we make the next Star Wars? How do we make the next Star Trek? How did that boost the industry? And did you find yourself now going from like, again, working on Star Trek now, there's all these different places that are calling for these. I have to imagine that was the environment at the time. Was that kind of the result or was it just... No, it it was very much like that. Everybody started realizing, wow, we can actually really use this stuff and do more. This is our blockbuster faces and do, you know, all these things we can, we can really start doing this. So there was like a huge boom and, you know, makeup uh, effects at that time. And it just got more and more and more and more makeup artists started learning how to do it. And you know, because it was like a whole different thing. Most people didn't really know how to put that stuff on. They knew how to build stuff out of their kits, but they didn't really know what this, you know, foam latex thing was that you were going to stick on somebody's face. And and back then we didn't have all the cool adhesives that we have now either. Yeah. We had, we we literally glued them on with spirit gum and we blended them in with duo lash adhesive. Mm-hmm. And then we put Pax paint on top of them that Dick Smith taught us all how to make and rubber mask grease paint on top of that. Yeah. And that's how we did them back then. You've worked through so many shifts. I mean, you've got the 70s where sci-fi really took off in a huge way. You've got the 80s where you've got, you know, the horror slasher world really coming into play. And then you've got the 90s where everyone looks really sexy in those slasher movies. And then you've got, you know, all of these transitions (laughs) that you've worked through. Um, Do you look at any of those specific time periods as like the golden age where you go, this was where it was this perfect balance of like movie magic and the type of projects we're working on were incredible. Um, or does each one have its its own thing that you appreciate throughout that journey? You know, there was a sweet spot in there when they just started to use CGI and, you know, mm. they, there was a little sweet spot in there that was kind of nice, but then of course they went bloody crazy with it and ruined everything for a minute there. But yeah. um, I, I believe that each, each one of those eras had its own little kind of niche, you know, and they were all fantastic. You know, it was like, it's great to look back. And I mean, I look at films that I did in the seventies and I go, my God, that movie still holds up. That's kind of crazy, you know, because you have to remember also we were shooting on film Mm -hmm. and film was very forgiving. You know, it, it, it still made movies look like magic. Yeah. Now there's no magic left because with all the, all the K's that they have going on, all these cameras, you know, you can see stuff that the human eye doesn't even see. And it's, yeah. it's really kind of taken the magic out of movies for me. Yeah. When you see things that clearly you don't, there's, it leaves nothing to your imagination, you know, you know, and there's still so many cool things that have come out of CGI. Like I love makeups that are built to be engineered with CGI mm-hmm. because then there's a purpose to it. You know, it's just like when we did pirates, we had on the bootstrap bill makeup, there was, which was an amazing makeup that Joel Harlow did on him and and it was engineered so that they could add like little things like little things spurting on his face mm-hmm. and just you know just different things that moved and then when you got into Davy Jones and all of his characters like John Knoll did an amazing and I at ILM he did an amazing job he took our makeups and he made the CGI characters look like our makeups so it was seamless they all looked like they were in makeup yeah and it was absolutely stunning the first time i saw the first time i saw that pirates film with davy jones and everything i went to the premiere and i told joel the next day i said oh man everything looks fantastic he goes he kept asking me how bootstrap bill looked and all i could say was oh my god davy jones was amazing you wouldn't believe it it looked just like a makeup job and i'm like yeah but how did boots i know bootstrap bill looked like 
freaking awesome but you should see the cgi they did it's like so cool but they really took their time to you know integrate Mm -hmm. the the feels and it, it really showed that they took the care in that and that's probably the best um that's the the film that i have seen that works that that particular type of thing works the best and because even the next film wasn't as good yeah. the cgi wasn't as good in the next film because they thought well we've already done it it's cool we don't have to worry about it or something i don't know what they thought but yeah well it's it. it's always that we can do it you know or we tested it now we can do more yeah. of it you know and i'm i'm glad you brought up cgi because it's something where i just interviewed someone who works in vfx you know and and i was asking questions about practical and you know vfx and it's a hot debate in the industry world. It's a hot debate, you know, with obviously moviegoers. I mean, you see that number one in the comments about Marvel movies. Oh, this looks fake or this looks cheesy or, you know, it's a, it's a big complaint, but you talk positively in meshing the two, um, you know, talking into that, like, how do you think CGI can be used effectively with makeup? I know you mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean, which I, I agree. I think those movies still hold up extremely well now. Um, you know, why do they're you not think that old, are they? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in movie terms, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think, terms, you know, because <laughs> if they made that movie now, I think it would be in a big, I mean, now it wouldn't even be a green screen. Now it would be a big room full of screens, you know, like they're doing the Mandalorian. Oh. They would be all these different techniques, but to see that meshing of practical ships, practical characters, and then also these full CGI characters that still look incredible. Um, it is a real sweet spot. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like, do you think, do you think still there's this room to mesh them in a way that's, that's positive? Like, do you think that there's still a way to go back to that versus like going full bore into here's full CGI characters or here's, you know, then you'll see the other side, people go, let's go full practical. And then they're shooting it in a 4k or, you know, 8k setting. It doesn't look quite as solid. I mean, I think you have to use, I don't know that they can do it in 4K unless they have, I mean, I did The Amazing Spider-Man and that was one of the first time they used those 4K cameras, our cinematographer. Oh my God, he's fantastic. He did such an incredible job because there was a lot of prosthetic makeup on that film. And I was looking at it thinking, oh my God, this looks amazing. It doesn't, you don't see all that stuff because he he knew what filters to use on it to make it look realistic. And, and it was, he had done such an amazing job and, and all the other people were looking at it. They had DPs coming through that were going to go shoot Marvel films. Hmm. They had them coming through the set and talking to John on the set to make sure that they were going to be doing the same techniques he did so that their films could look as good. So he did an amazing job, but uh, you know, it's not everybody takes the time, you know, not everybody Hmm. is as good as, you know, your technicians aren't as good as the next technicians, or it's just, I think somebody has to really be into their craft and really want to take the time to um, delve into it and see what works, what do tests with it. Don't just, you know, try to make, you know, you're not doing a wildlife movie. You're doing a movie with people in it that are wearing makeup. You can't just expect everybody to be perfect all the time. And Mm. especially if you're doing films with prosthetics, you really have to know how to light them. You have to know what kind of filters to use. And, and there are so many beautiful makeups being done now with silicone prosthetics. It's just phenomenal. So it, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, I did a film called LBJ and oh. Arian Titan did the makeup. This was on Woody Harrelson. This was the second LBJ film. Not. And we went to go see 
a screening of it before they you know, finalized everything. And they had gone in and done digital touch-ups on all kinds of stuff that weren't supposed to be touched up. Mm-hmm. So Arian went to them and just said, oh, you guys, no, you just, you took out, you, you know, that's not right. You took out stuff that wasn't supposed to be taken out. I mean, and there was very little to be taken out. Mm-hmm. We really did an amazing job on this makeup. We were so, per, you know, we were being such perfectionists about it. We didn't want them to have to do that. Yeah. So he went back in with the director or the digital, uh, you know, whoever the digital artist was. And he said, no, remove that, remove that, remove that and put it back to the way it should have been. I mean, there was like maybe two or three touch-ups they had to do. It was like the end of the day, maybe something was cracking down here. It was like nothing, you know? Yeah. And so I think this is another thing, like a lot of makeup artists now are putting it in their deals that they want to do the beauty pass with the director Mm. at the end of the film. So if they're going to be doing any digital touch-ups, they want to have to say about it, which makes sense because you're going to know if something's wrong. I mean, what I do is I always go to the... um, script supervisor and say, hey, today, this is a problem here. Make a note here. So if they need to do digital touch-ups, this is what they should touch up, blah, blah, blah. So, mm-hmm. so those are things that you have to, you know, you you have to have a really good rapport with your director and your DP and your, your um, script supervisor so that everybody can stay connected and know what has to be dealt with and talked about and maybe retouched at the end of the film. Yeah. It, it's amazing how much this mirrors the conversation I've had with some BFX artists where it comes down to the tool itself is a tool at the end of the day. It's yeah. the same as what camera are you going to, you know, there's, there's different techniques you can use to accomplish the same effect, but it's what you said. People don't take the time to make sure that everything else is working in tandem with it. Right. So you have an incredible effect, but it's not shot the right way. And it looks, it looks cheap, you know, or, or you have something yeah. that's not an incredible effect, but it's shot really well and it looks great, you know? Yeah. And um, as far as your experience, I mean, you've had some people like Tim Burton you've worked with for, many, many movies. You've worked with different um, collaborators over and over again. Who are some people you've worked with that you think really understand how to work with these effects and put your work in the best light in the different films and projects you're working on? You know, like I said, I, I really loved working with John Knoll mm-hmm. and ILM and he, he was amazing and he was such a great collaborator. But, you know, if you get a good DP, you know, just, they, it, it just, look at their track record, look at the film, the films that they've done, see how they shoot things. See, you know, you have to get involved as a makeup artist. I feel that you have to be involved. You have to know who you're working with, get, get on that, uh, you know, get on your um, uh, crew list and find out who these people are, who, what they did before, you know, is this, is this cameraman, like somebody that you think you can work with? Well, um, what's their reputation? Call up people they've worked with. It's really easy to do. Now you have IMDB, you can cross-reference everybody. So there's, there's no excuse not to know who you're working with and what their track record is and what films they've done and what actors or actresses they've worked with. And are they good at lighting? Do they care about it? Because a lot of DPs are just, I hate to say they're shit. All they want to do is light a room, mm-hmm. you know, and what's a light? Oh no, we're using ambient light. We have fast, we have fast cameras. I'm going, dude, you're, you're in a close-up. This is your room now. Yeah. You, you've got to light that room. No. They don't like ambient light. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? They, they want to be lit right, right. Because especially, you know, like some actresses have it in their contract that they have lines around their mouth removed. Hmm. You know, I know several, <laughs> but, wow. you know, it's just, you know, there's things that you have to know about, like, do, you know, is there something, you know, like I said, I'll go and talk to them ahead of time and say, I'm having a problem with this today. You know, can we, so we don't have to do CGI. Can you give them a cross? Like, can you do this? Can you, 
help with the dark circles? Can you give them an eye light? Can you anything, you know, you have to know how to talk to these people. You have to know their lingo as well. So it's really important. And it, and unfortunately for the young people, this is something that you just basically learn through uh, experience, you know, hmm. but if you, if you know what to look for, if you're knowledgeable and I mean, and you do a little research, you can kind of figure it out, you know, like look at old movies. What, how were they lit? How did that actress look so good? What did they do to her? You can tell by looking at something, what they did, right. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of times they don't want to do it, but you know, you can always ask. All they can do is say no. <laughs> right. Well, I definitely want to ask a little bit on the practical side. And I want to talk a little bit about uh, your academy, but I, I also am curious too. I mean, pulling up your IMDb, which if somebody's listening to this and hasn't, I mean, you've worked on, I mean, pretty much every major film that anyone's probably ever watched. I mean, your name is on so many different credits, uh, so many different incredible films. And even for me, like I was, I was already very familiar with you when I had reached out. And then when you said yes, which I was thrilled, I started looking through, I was like, let me start looking at some of the films you've worked on. I was like, oh, that too. And that too. And there's all these other pieces that I hadn't, um, hadn't noticed. I, I'm curious for you, do you have some projects that you've worked on where you feel incredibly proud of the work you did, but it doesn't get brought up a lot? Because I'm sure Batman Returns gets brought up quite a bit. And these other projects that are the big tentpole films get mentioned in interviews all the time. Is there any films you've worked on where you're like, I crushed that movie and nobody ever talks about it? Um, gosh, I don't know. I <laughs> I like I look at my my resume and I go, oh yeah, I forgot I did that one. <laughs> like, oh my God. It means you're busy. <laughs> there, there was this one film that I really loved, which was a absolutely horrible experience for me, but I loved the makeup that I did on Carl Urban. It was called The Chronicles of Riddick. Mm. And I had gone in with David, the uh, director, and we had designed all these really cool looks for the Necromongers. And when when they let the producer go, who was a friend of mine at the time, Peter McGregor Scott, they let him go and they brought in these other executives from Universal mm. who were just giant a-holes. And I had such a miserable time on the film and I was doing all the special effects stuff. But, you know, I designed this, these bitch and makeups. And the only one we got to do because we shot for a week with him like that was Carl Urban. And I mean, I had designed all these really cool things that of course the costume designer didn't want to deal with, but they were like pieces of jewelry that were embedded into their skin. So we were Mm -hmm. going to do all these really cool prosthetics that you could look like the jewelry was embedded into their skins. And of course that never came to fruition. So I just had to figure out something else to do which is why, you know, I put this really cool, we shaved Carl's head. We did these plaits down his back and put all these hardware in it. But it was like a whole thing layered and, and, um, you know, like I put, I put um, luminescent colors into the makeup and stuff. So he like, looked like he was almost like lit up Mm -hmm. and just kind of translucent fish belly, kind of creepy looking because they were supposed to be these half dead guys. But you know, when it came time to doing all the rest of the guys, they said, well, the rest of them can't, that's way too scary. We, this is going to be our new tent pole. You can't, you can't make them look that scary. They can't be. I said, he looks amazing. What are you talking about? Scary. He looks beautiful and freaky and fabulous. And, you know, and of course, no, 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 nobody ever talks about it, but you know, because they turned the movie into pure shit and that's what happened. And they never made another Riddick movie after that because they were idiots. And the sets were like the sets. When you see that movie, that was not CGI. Those were actual sets. Mm. And I'm telling you, they were amazing. 
Yeah. Those sex sets were so incredible on that film, those giant sculptures and stuff. Good God, they were the coolest things to walk in. And it could have been a really cool, wild, creepy movie. And this just shows you that production can ruin a film. And they yeah. did. How do you really feel about it? <laughs> I hope none of those people are watching this. <laughs> but you yeah. know what? I told you so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's you hear a lot of stories. I mean, the Thing remake, there was a, a similar situation where they had done all these incredible effects. And, you know, then they came in and production said, oh, CGI. And we'll go in and we'll just redo all of these effects. You know, you look at, I mean, you worked on Priest, which I actually think is, a, yeah, that was, so a I cool think it's an underrated too. movie in, in some ways. But it, again, there's some areas where the CGI goes a little bit too heavy in parts, but yeah. there's some cool designs in it. You know, it's just, it's interesting all the different elements that can make or break a movie and keep it from hitting that kind of magical peak. So. Yeah, you know, the I I can't remember if in the film they actually used the creatures that can be made, but there were um, green screen uh, green screen sets on stage that had these creatures in them. They were mm -hmm. flying and stuff. And they mm -hmm. were so these creatures were so cool in person to see. So yeah. they could have had actual um, organic creatures in there. And I'm not sure that they ever used them. I can't remember now if we saw them or not, even mm -hmm. for a split second. But yeah. They were really cool. And, you know, I'm a, I don't like this. I don't dislike CGI. No. I just feel that if you can do something organically, it's usually much scarier mm -hmm. and much more realistic to do it organically, even if it isn't perfect, because who's to say what a monster looks like? You know, you, right. you don't know what a monster looks like. If, and a lot of times when they do them CGI, I mean, look at Alien. Holy shit. Yeah. Alien was amazing. No. Yeah. It's well, it, yeah, it's make that a god dang, you know, uh, CGI critter now. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, I think it gives the actors something to work with that's there. Absolutely. And you, you can feel it. I mean, you look at Star Wars has been the conversation a lot lately, and you can feel when someone's running around a blue screen, you know, you can feel yeah. and you can, you can just tell. And, and same thing, even some of the movies in the 80s, like these horror movies where, yeah, an effect doesn't hold up 100%. But it's still, there's something in our mind where we see that and go like, it's real though. This is a yeah, something that's there. something that's actually in the room there. It's not crazy. air. You yeah. know, there's not this weight to it. Um, I, I want to ask really quickly before I, I throw some rapid fire questions your okay. way. Um, one of the things when we had a conversation a, a while back, you mentioned you wanted to talk about Instagram versus movie effects. And I'm sure now you're dealing with this up and coming group of people that want to get involved in makeup. They've, you know, followed the journey of people like you that have done these incredible makeups for film and they're figuring it out. You know, they're trying to create these makeups for TikTok and Instagram right. and, and do all these horror effects and, and makeup techniques. And uh, I wanted to just ask you, like, what are some of the common mistakes you're seeing people make now that are stepping into this world or trying to work their way into this industry? A lot of them what they do is they copy each other, which is unfortunate because you'll mm. see the same kind of makeups over and over. And it's like, well, that's really great for if you're living in a cartoon world, but that yeah. doesn't look real. You know what I mean? And a lot of them just wind up throwing a lot of blood on everything and think that's, you know, that's cool, but no, you really need to see part of the wound so you can know where this, all this blood is coming from. And, mm. you know, and, and also, you know, a lot of these kids, they have to start doing um, low budget films, first of all. They're not just going to jump into doing, you know, a film that is a union film. Um, I have uh, kids that work with me all the time 
that have been trying to get into the union for years now. And one by one, they're getting in. Every, every young person that has been my assistant is all in the union now. And mm. I have my last one working on it right now. Mm. So the gal that's working with me right now has been trying to get in for three years and she's getting close to getting all of her days. Mm. And it's so great, but you know, it's hard work. They have to get a certain amount of days within a certain amount of years. And it has to, and if you don't get all your days in that one year, then they drop off and you have to start over. It's, it's horrifying. It's very, very difficult for them. You really have to want to do this really, really badly and really persevere. You know, it doesn't just, it doesn't just happen. You don't just like all of a sudden one day get in, you know, it takes years of, it takes years of perseverance and doing all these low budget shows and working for a hundred dollars a day and, you know, working for other people. And then, you know, half the time it costs you to go do these jobs because they don't have money to give you supply money. It's like you're almost paying for the experience to go work on a film, you know? Right. So you really have to be dedicated to your craft to really want to do that. So as far as me seeing that trans transition from like, right from TikTok and Instagram into the movies, I haven't really seen it. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Yeah, right. Um, Most of the people I've seen have like had some sort of education. Uh, You know, you can learn a lot from Instagram and from YouTube and all that there. You can really learn a lot. But at one point or another, you really have to be someone be be someone hands on in a room. Mm -hmm. You have to have that one on one, you know, class because it's just too difficult. That's why, like my school that I'm starting right now. Um it's going to be in one week pods. So if there's something like even, even professionals have been coming. So if you want to do something where you just need to get touched up on, like say prosthetic application, you haven't done it in a while and you want to just go see how to do that. Like next week we start on prosthetic application. The weekend after that, we're doing only silicone application. Mm -hmm. Uh, The weekend after the week after that, we do um, uh, ventilation, you know, which is, you know, hand tying hair to make uh, hair pieces. So, and hair laying. So, you know, it's like you can go in and just take one class and brush up on that particular class. So even somebody who's been working on YouTube that has gotten that far, they might want to come in and just say, okay, I got to go sit with a professional now. I got to be in a room having all the real stuff in front of me, all the real products to use (laughs) because, and the real equipment, because it, it really does make a difference to have all the correct equipment and all the right products, because products are not all glues are not the same. You know, I hate to tell you that you guys, but they're not. So, right. You know, it really helps to have that on in on hands, uh, you know, assistance there and instruction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for your Academy, if somebody's listening and they're interested and they're in the area and they would be interested in checking out, what would be the best place to do that? And what, I mean, should they have any prior experience? Is it something where they should, someone could come in at any level, uh, what should be the, the level of expertise going into one of these classes? Well, it would depend on which class they want to take. Mm. It, it, if you're coming in to do prosthetic application, it would certainly help to have some, have at least tried it on your own. So you have some idea of what you're coming into. Otherwise right. you're going to hold the whole class back because sometimes you'll be going into a class that has professionals in it that have already done it. Yeah. We do start right off, you know, right from the beginning. It's not like you couldn't catch on quickly. If you're a quick study, some of those classes would be very easy to do Um, and and others might not be so easy, but we try to gear it so that it, you know, most of the time people are not going to come in that don't have any experience whatsoever. You know what I mean? They're not going to come in. I've never touched a makeup brush, but I actually did have one student 
who had never actually made up another person. They'd only ever worked on themselves mm. and they hadn't actually ever touched another person with a, even a comb or a brush. Wow. And she wound up being one of my best students in hairline class. Mm. It was amazing. She caught on so quickly. And because of the fact that my classes are really small right now, because we're beta testing everything, you're basically getting a one-on-one -on -one with me. So yeah. If I have six students, I go around all day long to every single person. And if you don't get it, I'll either help you by taking your hand or I'll do it for you right in front of you. And you go, oh, because sometimes it takes just that little bit to say, oh, crap, now I get it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes you can watch and you can watch. And, but until you actually are there in person and see exactly what's going on. And also it helps to know why. Yeah. A lot of times you, when you're being taught something, they don't tell you why you're doing it. And for me, that always has helped me. It's like, okay, well, just go do this and that'll happen and this will happen. And, mm. oh, okay, no, why, why am I doing that that way? Could I do it this other way? And mm. I'll either say, yeah, you could do it that other way, but it might take you twice as long because mm. you're going to have to do this as well if you do it that way. So there's lots of different ways to getting to that location over there. But if you go this way, it's going to take you longer than if you just go that way, you yeah, know? Right. So there's just, it's that hands-on thing, to, you know, being in that room and being with the person that really helps, you know, the artist click in, you know? Yeah. Well, we're right near the end here. I like to save a little bit of extra time for uh, a couple of quick questions. I ask everybody that comes on the show and they always prompt stories. So this segment always gets longer and longer, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm really curious to hear your answer on each of these. Okay. First, first and foremost, uh, just as a viewer, what do you think is the best decade of film history? What do you find yourself returning to the most? Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, I, you know, I have so many favorite movies from so many different eras. I don't even know. I mean, mm. if it was music, I'd say the eighties, mm. but <laughs> I could almost say that about film too. But yeah. I, you know, I think probably because the best time that I had doing movies was in the eighties. I'd have to say the eighties for me, it mm. doesn't mean they were the best movies by far, um, <laughs> right. but you know, I loved, see, I loved all the old universal horror films too. Those yeah. black and white films were so bloody scary. They were done in the thirties, some in yeah. the forties. It's like, Oh my gosh, you know, how can you put, um, I think it just depends on the genre of film too. Mm. You have to like, think about what genre of film, was being was was very popular in that era and how did how did they shoot them and what made them so good and you know what directors were really shooting a lot of films during then and what when was their heyday yeah. in filmmaking you know and i think that kind of that kind of has to go hand in hand for me unfortunately so i can't give you a clear answer there either <laughs> no worries no worries um that's a pretty common one is like oh you can't do yeah. this to me make me choose um <laughs> that's funny um which of your films, this one's going to be no more easy. Uh, which so, of your films do you think is the best representation of you as a creator? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is really unfair. <laughs> um, I don't know. They usually ask me, what's your favorite film? That's like saying, what's your favorite child? I can't. Right. Even exactly. Yeah. Um, my film as a creator. You know, I don't know. I think I can give you this answer. It's not the exact answer that you wanted, but there was a set of films that I did where as a makeup artist, you got to do 
everything that you ever learned mm -hmm. to do as a makeup artist. And that was the Hunger Games. Hmm. Because we did everything from natural makeups to high fashion to um, trauma makeups to uh, prosthetics. I mean, mm. you know, real strong prosthetic. We got to do every single thing we've ever been taught. Dirt, blood, beauty, high fashion, you know, everything imaginable. And they that those movies spanned everything. Yeah. So I think... As a makeup artist, those were the films that best used every technique I've ever learned in my entire career. Hmm. So that would be my best answer on that. As far as creatively, I don't know. It was pretty creative. Yeah, yeah. it was fun and very creative. Yes, well, it was. And that's what I like to ask is because, yeah, favorite is a good question, but it's, it is, I mean, there's yeah. so many factors, like, is it your favorite, yeah. how it came out? But I like representation as a creator because it's something where you got to do what you do best, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was everything. We did everything you can imagine on those films. Hmm. On the flip side of that, I'm going to throw in a curveball. On the flip side of that, is there, is there a certain project where you went in expecting it to be a very creatively fulfilling project or maybe to be this opportunity that's incredible, but you feel like you didn't get to really shine the way that you hoped? Like, was there any disappointments throughout the career where it was like, oh, I thought this film was going to be this amazing, amazing experience. And, you know, kind of like Chronicles of Riddick, you know, like it ends well, up getting cut out from under you. That probably be my answer right there because hmm. uh, I originally went in with Peter McGregor Scott, who was our producers on the Batman films. And he was oh, wow. always so terrific to work with. Yeah. And David Toohey was really an interesting director. And he was so willing to let us do all of these really fantastical hmm. things that have never really been done on a film. And then, you know, production came in and put a kibosh on everything. Yeah. So that was kind of very disappointing. And they made our lives miserable on top of everything else. So which doesn't help. Yeah. Oh, you, <laughs> you you mentioned the Batman films, which I have to ask. I mean, I mean Michael Keaton's coming back as Batman, which is interesting. But That's awesome. <laughs> um, I'm curious with Tim Burton specifically, because he's such an auteur director he has his own specific style yes he does. were those creatively very open for you working on the makeups or was it something where he said like i want it to look like this and you felt like you were in this like what was kind of the working relationship there because i i have to imagine he had his hands in it more than some directors unless i'm misreading him as he, a director you know uh just the main characters because he he basically designed the the main characters you know mm -hmm. i mean like let's say like the first film the penguin um he kind of drew a picture of what the penguin was going to look like and then you know stan winston and myself and the team jumped in and we made the penguin you know what i mean yeah. but the rest of the characters were kind of left up to us and we could do whatever he wanted that all the the circus gang yeah he pretty much let me do what we wanted and okay. he said he, he gave us a theme and, and i said okay i got it great and then i went yeah. in and did some drawings for the clowns and you know gave him pictures of the other characters put a little board together and he said yeah that fantastic and carry on you know let us do whatever we wanted but he you know as long as we stick to the aesthetic that he if he gives us a genre or something to work within he's really good about everything else you know gotcha gotcha so okay well that's yeah. two curveballs so i'll go back to my regularly scheduled questions um, okay <laughs> if if you were given the green light to remake any film uh, what would you choose and why so this can be one of your past films or it can be any film period. If you said like, it would be fun to do my spin on it. You know, what would you choose and why? Ooh, crap, that is a real <laughs> spinner. Oh, you, um, 
Wow. Any, not a film that I've done, but another film altogether. It could be if you said I had one that I did, but I didn't have enough creative control, or it could be one that you like Planet of the Apes, where you want to take, you know, a, a unique approach I or. No, I don't know what I would like to do. Gosh. All my favorite films that I would like to do have already been done really well. So I, right. I wouldn't even. Would you I dare touch Planet of the Apes? You know, yeah. dare touch them. I mean, I, you know, the mummy, hmm. Maybe the mummy. Interesting. And would you ba like, ba like remaking the Boris Karloff or doing a totally. Uh, own no, spin? I, I loved the Boris Karloff. I do too. That was, yeah. That, I love that. Movie. And I think that is kind of gets blown over a lot of the times mm -hmm. because you got the Wolfman, you've got Frankenstein, Yeah. but those makeups, be, we didn't get to see them a lot in the film, which was kind of unfortunate. Yeah. But even, you know, and, and also when you read about what it took to do those films, oh my God, it was like 10 hours putting them in and two hours taking them out of that one mummy yeah. thing with the wrappings and everything. Cause he actually wrapped him and all that stuff was soaked in mud and yeah. he did all kinds of crazy stuff. He glued, like he glued rice paper over his eyes and oh my God. Yeah. I mean, Karloff really, I mean, that was torturous for him, you know, yeah. but it would be really neat to recreate that kind of look yeah with, but maybe not be so torturous <laughs> right maybe maybe we can have some technology to take some of that away yeah. yeah yeah and you know and the and the artist bay makeup was really cool too i love that it was yeah. just yeah. but that would be really cool to do it with a silicone because that would hmm. look really creepy because then it really would look like shriveled up skin and that would be bitching yeah i really like the brennan fraser remake but i love the original yeah. and and I do. I love the makeup and it's, it's one of the first movies to really, I mean, have moving cameras going through. I mean, it's, it's a very innovative film, but it does get lost because it's a slower burn than the Wolfman yeah. or, or these other films. Yeah. Um, great answer. Uh, what's a movie that people who are fans of your work would be surprised to know that you enjoy like a movie that you, you like watching that people would be like, I'm surprised. I didn't expect that to be a, a go-to pick for you. Oh, I don't know. Cause I like watching. You're Lost pretty eclectic. <laughs> I like watching Lost Boys, but I mean, everybody mm. likes watching that. So I, like, right. I don't know, but I had so much fun making that movie. It was like for the mm. longest time, people say, what was your favorite movie to work on? And I would always say Lost Boys. Mm. It was just, it was such a terrific time of life, you know, and the kids were wonderful. The little kids were wonderful and so mischievous and, and the boys were great. You know, the vampires were great. I'm working in Santa Cruz and, and Joel Schumacher, who I absolutely adored, who I did many films with as well. He was just, he made it fun to be at work. Yeah. And just the whole, and I love vampires. So that was really fun. So, I, you know, I mean, you couldn't have asked for more, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. like watching that film. And I think it still holds up really well as, as well. So greatest saxophone right. scene in history you know yeah exactly you know he still does trade shows too yeah he i saw he was at a, a couple years ago yeah he was at a convention playing I and i was like man still going at it but and vampires I went, you know yeah i reintroduced myself and he goes oh, i remember you you're the one that lubed me all up with the oil and i went yeah <laughs> that's so funny um yeah it's it's a great movie i watched it for the first time i think it was either last halloween or the halloween before because I, I i've watched I get in retro, I'll like watch Friday 13th a million times. And then I'm like, I got to watch all these other movies on the list. And that, uh, that made the list. And it was, it was great. Um, the, the last question I have for you, I ask everybody 
what is the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring filmmaker who is listening to this? Wow. Um, easy questions. I like to keep them all easy. Yeah, at the end. <laughs> you know what? If you truly want to do this for a living, you just have to persevere. You, mm. you have to, you, you might have to give up stuff. And I hate to say that, but nothing comes without a cost. And it's like, you know, to young women who want to get into the film business, the first thing I tell them is forget about having a family mm. because you'll just destroy it. <laughs> I mean, it's a horrible thing to say to somebody, but I said, you know, if you want to do this for a living and you want to be a makeup artist and choose something simpler, like, you know, do commercials, do, um, short things do do stuff that doesn't take you away from your family for months on end because it used to be back in the day you could do it because you always went home at night but now we don't go home anymore now we're like on location all the time so you know really you know figure out what you want to do what aspect of it you want as a makeup artist anyway um and just be ready for for the long haul you know Mm -hmm. if you really want to do it you just have to persevere and and really dig in and get to it and learn as much as you can learn take as many classes you can take if you have to take whatever you can take for free and then you know just learn as much as you can and be as versatile as you can learn how to ventilate learn how to do something that not everybody this is a good one learn how to do something that not everybody knows how to do because it could make you get in the union Hmm. if they got really busy on somewhere and they needed somebody that not only did makeup but knew how to ventilate Hmm. you might get a job Great. You know, That's so. great advice. Great advice. And uh, visit the Legends Makeup Academy <laughs> to learn Legends all of these Academy. tips. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to do this. I, I could ask a million more questions and I, I really appreciate you having this conversation and just for all sure. of your contributions to films. I mean, I, it's it's interesting, like I said, going through your um, list of work and just thinking like, I grew up watching all of these movies and seeing all these things. and And you know, even face off, you know, like watching, that was a staple every night, you know, watching all these makeup designs and um, you're just a really fascinating person. And I, I really appreciate you taking time to Thank do this. Thank you very much. Very sweet. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to the Film School Podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, don't forget to leave a five-star review and hit subscribe so you won't miss a single episode.